This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. On Thursday, Fight Back launched a brand new panel with a focus on municipal issues. It'll be heard every Thursday after the noon news. Tune into the town features former Toronto Mayor David Crombie, Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor, mayoral candidate and current CEO of Variety Village, and Lauren O'Neill, senior news editor at Blog TO. Libby started the inaugural segment with a discussion about what happened at Woodbine Beach last weekend when people were firing Roman candles at each other as well as a recent increase in carjackings, starting with Lauren O'Neill's perspective. The carjacking situation is is wild to me. I mean, auto thefts in general are up 55% since last year, which is the biggest of any major crime indicator. Um, we've had 93 so far this year, which is more than all of 2021 in just five months. So, I mean, Tory has promised to create a task force. They're updating patrols in certain areas. But I, I mean, I really don't know the reason for it. But with the fireworks in particular, I can say that that is not so much organized crime. Rings. No, These, no, no. The carjackings. The carjack. Yeah. But are, the, the the fireworks are like teenagers. These are um, 19 people were arrested on Sunday night at, at Woodbine Beach in Ashbridge's Bay. Um, there were two shootings, a stabbing, two people robbed at gunpoint, and then tons of, of people just shooting Roman candles at each other. There were seven police officers injured. One of them was shot in the face with a firework. And um, of the 19 arrests, 10 were minors. And there are videos all over social media showing like these kids on TikTok are bragging about how they're at war with each other and fighting with these Roman candles. And there's new video now will be published something later today um, in which these young people can be seen on a TTC bus setting off Roman candle fireworks. So I'm not really sure what's behind it, but it's been an increasing problem over the last couple of years. We've seen more and more violence during the fireworks at Woodbine Beach. Um, but this year was was next level, ne- never anything at this scale before. Karen, is this social media is the problem that these kids can get on social media and get some attention for being idiots, frankly? <laughs> No, I think this is this is a step above social media because I mean kids have been idiots since the beginning of time. It's kind of what kids <laughs> <True>. do, right? <laughs> but but you know you you hope that it's contained within some framework of of risk assessment. And what what we're seeing, I think, is just um, a desensitization of these kids to the impact of their actions. And and I would I would say you know without I'm not the expert on it by any stretch of the imagination, so I wouldn't want to lay claim to that. But I, I certainly think that the video game culture has contributed to that sense of infallibility and to that sense of destruction and uh, that idea, particularly the first-person shooter games and, mm. you know, coming together to fight an enemy. And it, it seems harmless because it's a video game. But then if you, if you don't really understand the limitations of that and you take it into other aspects of your life and you're a kid and you don't have good decision-making skills, then you find yourself doing these things on Woodbine Beach that are really... It, it, it kind of, it's a head scratcher what these kids were thinking 
and why they thought it was okay to run around shooting Roman candles at each other um, and, and, and at police officers and endangering the public safety and then putting it on TikTok. So it's all, it's all very um, concerning is, I think, the understatement of the day. But there's certainly something that's happening that we need to pay attention to that is going beyond social media, from my perspective. We have uh, reached David Crombie. Is there an increase in incivility? I mean, how, what is happening here? Well, I'm not, I'm clearly no expert on it, but I, a couple of points I uh, could offer. Um, uh, uh, first of all, um, throughout the history of the city, you'll find that there are episodes when a new generation uh, 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 decides that it, it, it needs to uh, press its presence uh, on the public. And, 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 and so it's, it's not terribly new. Uh, it's, it's new because of, of the kind of technology, but for, for, for sure, uh, one should, uh, the, what we've traditionally done, of course, is make sure uh, that as soon as it happens, you act quickly. I think also uh, there needs to be more, uh, more effort given in schools, which is a traditional way in which people are raised with an understanding of the, of the relationship of, the, of themselves to the police. So there's, there are, there's a bag full of things that can be done. Every once in a while, there are episodes like this that, that remind you that it's a constant, a constant application of police, uh, police enforcement and, and citizen awareness. And so you have to go back to that. Tune into The Town every Thursday with former Toronto Mayor David Crombie, former Toronto City Councillor and mayoral candidate and current CEO of Variety Village, Karen Stintz, and Lauren O'Neill, Senior News Editor at Zoomer Media's Blog T.O. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. There has been an ugly phenomenon as part of the current Ontario election campaign. Multiple instances of campaign lawn signs being defaced and vandalized. And this trend seems to cut across party lines. Candidates for all four major parties have been targeted, but most who have suffered this are members of minorities, and there's no shortage of misogyny involved as well. Crystal Brooks is the Green Party candidate for Simcoe North, and Nathan Shan is NDP candidate for Scarborough Centre. Both have had their signs defaced and vandalized. We had worked uh, months leading up to the red to have... uh you know, hundreds of sign locations, in fact, thousands were out. And and uh, what we are noticing each day is that a particular neighborhood, the signs go missing, and then we have to go back uh, with our sign crew and replace them. And then we find it in some other part of the writing. So it's it's been very frustrating and disheartening uh, because we would love to be focused on talking about the issues that matter to Scarborough, um, you know, such as making life affordable, such as making, you know, healthcare uh, fixed. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, this has uh, become a distraction. Why do you think you're being targeted? Is it because of your party? Is it because of your ethnicity? What's what's the deal? Well, you know, I, we have reported it to the police, so hopefully the motive uh, can be determined by them. But, you know, obviously there is some discomfort somewhere uh, for someone around the momentum that we've been seeing in the writing. Uh, we have the strongest campaign in Scarborough Centre in the recent history, um, with 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 our presence, and and uh, obviously um, that is uh, that is bothering someone. But at the same time, I, I do feel like you know areas that have high racialized communities have had more of this uh, 
you know targeted uh, targeted um, events happening as well um, with uh, with hate um, related information. So it's not it's not particularly uh, you know targeting me, I would say. Uh, but I, I do feel like you know the momentum that we're seeing um, is is probably the reason why this is happening. Uh, Crystal. Brooks, what is your experience? I, I saw some nasty things. Yeah, um, with my sign in particular, um, you know, it was it was very racist what was written on my sign, but it was also very misogynistic as well. Um, you know, I was told to go back to my reserve, um, oh. and on the other side, it, uh, it was a stab at. Um, you know, I, I am a survivor of human trafficking, and uh, it was very related to that part of my life and it was it was very hurtful to read but at the same time it wasn't very surprising either these are things that I have heard before um, but it doesn't mean that it hurts any less the more I do hear it um, but to wake up and see it on my front lawn you know where where my kids live and it was very it was very disturbing to see that so close. Nathan, do you feel like this is I don't I don't know where you were in the last election, but does this all seem kind of escalated? Definitely, you know, I've been a city councilor and a school board trustee for two school boards and have uh, you know faced a number of elections and and I think this is definitely escalating because of uh, partly because of the political environment we are in, the divisive politics uh, of it and then, you know, obviously we would like to have all these discussions around what is needed for the community in, in civil forums when we have uh, candidates not showing up to debates and, and, and uh, you know, the, the regular places where debates and discussions should take place are becoming less. And, uh, and, and so, so it is, it is obviously something that is concerning and obviously um, hostile towards equity seeking groups that have very, um, you know, it is already hard enough to put your name forward and run in these elections, and and you have uh, you know already existing systemic uh, issues and barriers, uh, and then you're faced with this. It, it is disheartening, regardless of which party the person is from. You know, we are focused as my campaign is focused on continuing to knock on doors, continuing to talk to people about issues that matters, fixing healthcare and education, and 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 get get right. focused on our on our campaign. Nathan Shan is the NDP candidate for Scarborough Center, and Crystal Brooks is the Green Party candidate for Simcoe North. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, is the outcome of the Ontario election a foregone conclusion? We discuss with our experts next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Will there be a shift in voter intention by Thursday's provincial election? The polling and surveying all the way through the campaign has indicated Doug Ford will win re-election with a majority. But as we all know, it's not over until it's over. Here at Zoomer Radio News, we are covering the campaign extensively. We are all in on the issues and the personalities. But our impression is that Ontarians are not that engaged in this provincial election. 
which is surprising given the tragedies experienced in long-term care during the pandemic, as well as all of the upheaval everyone experienced as a result of the COVID-19 crisis. On Thursday, Libby tried to find out why there is so little engagement when she spoke with conservative strategist John McAtishan, president of Bradgate Research Group, and Aaron Kelly, CEO of Advanced Symbolics, Inc., which created the Polypolster Artificial Intelligence Technology. We're definitely seeing this is one of the lowest engagement. So we look at engagement at a representative sample of populations on social media, and we see how many of them are engaging on the the topic of the Ontario election. And this is one of the lowest engagement elections that we've seen. Why do you think? Well, the number one, the thing that we're seeing over and over again is people definitely agree that these are, that we're in for probably some more difficult times. We've just come out of difficult times. Well, we're not even out of the difficult times of the pandemic, but that um, we're probably in for more economic hardship with inflation and affordability issues, et cetera. The problem is that the electorate doesn't feel that the solutions that the leaders have presented to them are either the right solutions or they, they don't feel that, um, that, that a premier can tackle the big macroeconomic issues that are facing us. And so what people are saying is, we're going to be going through difficult times. What we want is basically a leader that can lead through uh, a tumultuous time. And, and the, you know, Doug Ford has been doing that for two years. And so that's why we're seeing uh, higher support for Mr. Ford than for the others. But there's definitely, there was definitely that opportunity because of the, what we've been through to engage the population. But I think the ideas that are there, they're just not uh, grabbing people and people don't have faith. John McAtishan, you're a conservative strategist. So first of all, it, it seems to whatever this is, it, is working in Doug Ford's favor. Yeah, I, I think there's sort of three main dynamics. Uh, the first one in any election is, has the government, uh, for one reason or another, riled people up enough that uh, everybody wants to get rid of them? And certainly we saw that with the last election, and uh, you're not seeing it with this one. Now, I would say, to be fair, that uh, the pandemic had something to do with our lives being put on pause for over two and a half years. And uh, the fact that people are living their days right now, knowing they should be more careful than they are, but they're taking the chances anyway, because they've gone stir crazy. Um, But the third one is, how about there's no alternatives? So sadly, often for some people, politics, the lesser of evils, the choice from among the best bums, and there's nothing to get excited about. So to me, this is very much a walking dead uh, election coming out of the pandemic. <laughs> I like where people, that. Where people are happy to get out of their houses, get out of their basements, get out of their attics. They're wandering around the streets, kind of social distancing, but not really. And there's nobody to get excited about. And and I mean that on both sides. There's, on the conservative side, uh, you know, our people tend to rally when they know they're being attacked. But if you're a conservative, you're saying, well, the NDP and the Liberals aren't putting up good campaigns, so there's no threat. So that takes out half of your motivation to get excited. The Premier's okay, uh, solid, but, you know, he's not, like, have, getting people excited either. So very much a walking dead election, nothing's changed, and we're just walking to, uh, a, uh, you know, a re-election uh, a week from today. 
the reality is that it gives the local candidates of all parties and certainly the parties themselves a reason to, a reason to pause a week out and say, wow, maybe we should have done a lot more work at the local level because you're going to see a lot of upsets. You're going to see a lot of surprises. You can almost have any outcome on election night. And there's going to be a lot of people that are saying, I, uh, but I was in a safe seat and I was 2% ahead. But if the, whoever's in second place in each of these situations does a better job of getting their vote out, of having identified it and dragging them to the polls, then it's going to be more than one uh, story of the tortoise and the hare on election night. Conservative strategist John McEtitian, president of Bradgate Research Group, and Aaron Kelly, CEO of Advanced Symbolics, Inc., which created the Poly Polster Artificial Intelligence Technology. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The day before Canada soccer canceled a friendly match between Canada and Iran scheduled for June 5th in Vancouver, Fightback gathered a panel of stakeholders to talk about their concerns around the event. Both Canada's Prime Minister and the Mayor of Vancouver said this match was a bad idea because of the insensitivity felt by Iranian-Canadian families who lost loved ones on flight PS-752 shot down by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard two years ago. Prior to cancelling the event, Canada Soccer said in a statement that it believes in the power of sport and its ability to bring people from different backgrounds and political beliefs together. While there was mounting pressure to cancel, Libby was joined on Wednesday by Michael Mostyn, CEO of B'nai B'rith Canada, and Ram Jubin, a Vancouver-based community organizer and lawyer for the Iranian-Canadian families, who first explained how he found out about the soccer match. Well, I uh, received some uh, some text messages saying, "Hey, there's a match," and I immediately I immediately said that, "Okay, there's also going to be a protest because it was uh, it's obvious uh, to me um, as a researcher, as an Iranian Canadian, uh, that um, IRGC, the uh, uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guards, with a track record of domestic and international war crimes, terrorism." Uh, and um, human rights abuses um, is really the winner here. Uh, so the match, certainly not in these circumstances, um, should not be should not go ahead. In these circumstances, we're looking at essentially saving face for the IRGC. Essentially, this is a, a failure to identify um, uh, an international threat, uh, a domestic uh, human rights abuser. Uh, that has been uh, doing this for 43 years. Michael, uh, when did you first become aware of this, and and uh, what's your reaction? Yeah, thanks, Libby. So, and I and I agree with you know Ram saying um, we became aware of this quite similarly uh, at B'nai B'rith, we're you know grassroots Jewish uh, human rights organization, but from we work with many uh, of those of our friends within the Iranian community who are very concerned about the IRGC. And um, and its uh, uh, terrorist behaviors and obviously uh, uh, oppression of of some of their loved ones that are back home. So we we heard about this. Um, then we saw some of these uh, articles. That article that you referenced, Libby, uh, internationally came out, and um, we were just shocked and and dumbfounded. How is it possible that Soccer Canada, 
um, could think that this is this is one of those unifying through sport moments. Um, if they had done any research, if they had spoken to anyone from the Iranian diaspora community here in Canada, they would have learned that much like the Soviet Union used to travel with their teams, they bring handlers with them to ensure that there's no defections, uh, that nobody um, you know, shouts their mouth off once they're inside of a free country. In fact, the handlers are there to suppress all of the freedoms uh, that we cherish and value here in Canada. So extremely concerned, also extremely concerned that, according to reports, that the Iranians were actually shopping around their team, um, looking for funds, probably, from any number of other countries. Everyone else was expecting the Iranians to pay them. And, and here's Canada offering up not just funding, but offering to make a profit for the Iranian side. Uh, that's just outrageous when, as you mentioned earlier, this is an organization that is pretty highly dependent on Canadian taxpayer dollars um, and, and certainly on donations. So um, the, the whole thing makes no sense. The whole thing is an absolute outrage. The IRGC, not just with the Iranian community, but the Jewish community as well, has a, a history of, um, of, of targeting innocents in terrorist acts around the world. Um, a parliament four years ago stated that it should have been listed as a terrorist organization in Canada. The entirety of it has it not is yet in the been United done. States. Uh, it, it has in the in the US, absolutely. Is if the IRGC had been listed by the government four years ago as it had pledged to do in a parliamentary motion, we I don't think we would be in this situation here today. Uh, we, we we wouldn't be you know, relying on um, uh, Canada Border Services to make their own uh, mind up about the situation, Soccer Canada to, to, to look into how they wanted to deal with the situation. This is something that should have been dealt with uh, years ago. And, um, and it's something, but it's, it is something that can be resolved immediately because um, we don't want to have to deal with another situation like this uh, in the future. Michael Mostyn, CEO of B'nai B'rith Canada, and Ram Jubin, a Vancouver-based community organizer and lawyer for the Iranian Canadians who lost family on a plane downed by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard. The day after Libby's conversation, the match between Canada and Iran was cancelled. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Ron in Guelph phoned about the now-canceled Canada-Iran soccer match that was originally to be hosted by Canada Soccer. Obviously, from what I'm hearing, that uh, Soccer Canada gets a lot of government support, whether it's from the federal level or local level, I think the other way to solve this is um, from now on, any requests coming for from any money from the government should be audited for where the money is going that they're, that they're requesting. Would you think not? 
Emmanuel Imbrampton phoned about issues affecting older voters ahead of the provincial election. You know, Doug Ford, he got a good attention too, okay? And he did a lot of good things. But uh, the problem is now we got a lot of seniors and, uh, and to spend $10 billion on a highway, he could wait, he could wait for that. And, uh, uh, and the other guy wants more hospitals. That's what we need. I'm a senior. And, uh, you know, like, and he do do nothing for, for the seniors this time. Nothing. Uh, you know, like, uh, can he wait to spend, to don't spend the $10 billion on a highway? Skip in Toronto is a fan of Doug Ford's, and he called in to tell us why. I like Ford because I know his brother, and he seems to be have done a good job so far. Because as a premier, when I call him or he calls me or whatever, he always have a good response. And I will hope that he get back in there. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Susan in St. Catharines, who phoned to offer her perspective on the provincial election. My concern has been that we need a premier in for all of Ontario, not just for Toronto. Everything Mr. Ford has done benefits people in Toronto. We saw that with COVID, and um, we couldn't get any of our vaccinations till all of Toronto was, and yet people from Toronto were coming here, and we weren't protected. That does it for this week's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.